to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Now the Pharisees, some of the Torah scholars who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Yeshua. And they saw that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean hands, that is, not washed. For the Pharisees and all the Jewish people do not eat unless they wash their hands up to the elbow, keeping the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they perform a ritual washing. There are many other traditions they have received and hold, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels. The Pharisees and Torah scholars questioned Yeshua, Why don't your disciples walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why do they eat bread with unwashed hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Having left behind the commandment of God, you hold on to the tradition of men. He was also telling them, You set aside the commands of God in order that you may validate your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever you might have gained from me is korban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, making void the word of God with your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many such things. Thank you, Hillary. Please, please uh, pray for Hillary. She's lost her shoes. All right. So, this, uh, most of you have probably heard this passage before, I would assume. Um, and uh, just to give you a little bit of, of context of, of, of when this comes up in this uh, gospel account, just the immediate context. This is right on the heels of Yeshua doing a bunch of amazing things, um, feeding 5,000 minimum, right? Probably more than that. 5,000 people with, uh, with five loaves of bread and two fish and, and then having uh, 12 baskets left over. Some like to say, well, a basket for each of his disciples even. Um, and more than they could have even thought of when they started out. <clears throat> and then walked on the water. And then we see him coming into the, into the center, going to set it. And, and uh, people just hearing he was there just gathered around him. And he wasn't even reaching out to heal people. People were coming up just to get a touch of him, to touch the, the, the fringes of his garment, the tzitzit. And just by that alone, they were being healed, the text tells us right at the end of chapter 6. All who touched. The, uh, the, the fringes were healed. You know, so the people were gathered around him for that. And at the same time, the Pharisees and the Torah scholars, who I talked about the other week in Matthew 23, I may refer a little bit back to that message. Uh, in the midst of that, the people gathering around him for that, they gathered around him to, uh, to ask him about the hand-washing ritual. You know, so it's a bit crazy if you think about it. Um, 
at best, it's very self-focused that, that these, uh, these opponents of this year are, are very self-focused at best. At worst, it's just absolute, I think, ignorance or denial of what's going on, you know? And, uh, like, did you just see what happened here? How can you talk about ritual hand-washing at a time like this? Um, kind of reminded me of a cartoon I saw many years ago um, I, uh, of the far side, maybe you're familiar with the far side. There's these two sailors that are in a bar and they're talking. And the one sailor just finishing up and the other sailor looks at him and he says, yeah, that's a pretty good story, I guess, but let me tell you about the time that I lost this, and pointing to his peg leg, you know. I mean, that's a pretty good story you just told me, but let me tell you about when I lost this. And you look over at the guy he's talking to, and the guy's got a peg head. And you know, when you hear about the peg head, what in the world are you even talking about the peg leg, you know? And it's funny because we can relate to that a bit, I think. And, but the idea is that what we are concerned about quite often just trumps everything else. You know, everything else around us gets trumped by what's on our mind. We pay attention almost to what, what else is happening, you know? I think about, you know, if, when the time comes, when we, when we get a building, for example, and we, we build it from scratch, or say, hey, we got this building, we built it from scratch, oh yeah, that's wonderful, but uh, what kind of materials did you use? I mean, are they, are they environmentally sound, and are you, you know, leads qualified, or this kind of thing, or, um, you know, that, that would be the question sometimes that happens, you know. Um, yes, the disciples, for example, they, they came up empty-handed when they were fishing, right? And Yeshua says, oh, cast your net over there, and they cast it, and the nets are busting, and, and then maybe maybe some people would have thought, well, that's great, yeah, but uh, did the fish die in a humane way? Did you give them to the poor? And did you have a fishing license? I mean, I want to see your, your fishing license, you know. And so we kind of focus on these odd things. I could go on and on with examples. But the fact is, is that, is that I think we all have agendas of one kind or another. You know, we all have things that are uh, important to us. And maybe they're tied up in your personal background. Maybe they're tied up just in a specific area of interest that you might have. Maybe they're, they're tied up, your, your agendas are tied up in uh, an area of ministry that you're interested in or an area of ministry that you're involved in. That's always a question, you know, that you always zero in on and kind of hold things up to. And so you put everything um, that you see through that particular filter of your, of your interests and, and so forth and kind of see how that measures up. So it's not very uncommon, you know? And if we're not careful, we can let our plans and our agendas get in the way of something that God's trying to do. Something that God's trying to show us, something that God's trying to, to teach us. And that's how I think this episode starts out for the Pharisees and the Torah scholars here. Uh, their interest was in the preservation of their religion. That was their perspective. They were interested in their their way of life. And they wouldn't want the reality of God really to get in the way of that, now, would they? And so sure, Yeshua is healing people, he's feeding thousands with mere scraps of food, he's doing amazing uh, teaching based on the foundation of the Jewish scriptures. You know, Jesus was a Jew, right? He participated in Jewish life. But was he promoting ritual hand washing? That was their real concern. And you notice, notice Yeshua's response to this attitude of theirs. Notice a few things. First of all, notice what you don't see. What he didn't say is he didn't say, you don't need hand washing, you don't need to wash your hands. You know, that's pointless, it's not important. No, in fact, I think 
the reality is that is that the body, you know, respect for the body is important, right? The temple of the living God. And in fact, the idea of hand washing, originally this is not about a basic hygiene per se, however, that's certainly part of things. That's not really the focus. Um, the idea of hand washing is is that uh, it's from a holy place. That idea comes from the scriptures. Comes from the idea of the regulations of the priests who were required to wash, and then that expanded to the people. Um, this likely was a fence that was put around the Torah, but also uh, from the idea that we are to be holy as He is holy. This is not a bad idea. And in modern times, if there's no temple, um, we are each a temple of the living God. Whether there was a temple or not, we, we are told in Scripture that we are. And so this kept their focus on God. Sure, even nowadays, uh, this ritual is observed, and it can be observed with just some very you know, mechanical observance. But when you look into these rituals, even the, the modern-day ones um, that are part of the traditional liturgy, it's not that it's empty or useless at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, you see these prayers of Metilat Yadayim, washing up the hands, uh, in all siddurs, which are Jewish prayer books, you see them coupled also with uh, prayers for use of the restroom. Do you know there's a prayer for using the bathroom? It's called Hashem Yatsad. Okay? That which, well, anyways, you can look it up. And ask somebody what Yatsad means. Anyways, Yatsad, uh, Yatsad. But to look it up, um, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty amazing prayer. You don't need to think about it. In fact, just a couple of things you can add prayer talks about. It starts off by, by thanking God for creating the human being with wisdom and knowledge, with many openings and cavities, <laughs> that any of which, if any one of them were blocked, you wouldn't be able to survive for maybe even an hour. And you certainly wouldn't be able to stand before the Lord and worship Him. Ever thought about praying and thanking God for that? There's a gentleman in our congregation that's not here today that, uh, when he comes back next week, he's very thankful for that. He was in some surgery this week in that respect. The end of that prayer ends with this. Basically, blessed are you, Adonai, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. So, there's plenty of good stuff in, in religion and in tradition. The <clears throat> one commentary that I read on this section of scripture, this section of Mark, uh, was titled this way. Uh, a further clash with Judaism is what they titled this section. Now, with all due respect, I don't believe that's what this section is about. This is not about a clash with Judaism. Remember, Yeshua is a part of Judaism. Okay, if you remember back in Matthew chapter 23 uh, from a sermon I did a few weeks ago, um, Yeshua put credibility on what the leaders were teaching. Remember, he said, whatever they say, you should do. And most likely what they were saying was scripture, yes, but also tradition, I'm sure, as well. Um, Yeshua, at that, at that point in scripture, he didn't put down the wearing of tefillin, the phylacteries, he didn't put down the, uh, the, the tradition of wearing the, the, the prayer shawl fringes. He, the way in which they were doing it was what he had an issue with. Um, he himself participated in synagogue worship, he himself participated in Jewish practice, uh, Jewish observance, tradition, all of those things. In fact, just a small example, and there are several. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 37. Many of you are probably familiar with these verses. I'll read them to you. It says, Yeshua stands up. He says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, 
you've probably heard that verse before, and uh, he said this as the verse starts off. I didn't read this part, but he said, On the last and greatest day of the feast is when he stood up and said this. And this was a, a feast that was on the last day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, if you search the Hebrew scriptures, you don't find the feast described and what you're supposed to do and, and all that. So he was participating in some tradition there. Right? He was there at the feast and he stood up and said this. So in fact, things, you know, the traditions are where things can't run just by the scripture alone per se. Yes, scripture is a foundation in, in a sense the law, but there must be some level of legislation to the law, right? We have the U.S. Constitution, but we also, uh, which is a great document, but it's, it's got to be followed, right? It's worthy to be followed, but then there's also needs to be an orderly application of that document. And ideally, I say that very much ideally, the legislation supports that, uh, and it should not contradict the document and so forth. Or, or supplant the original document, but as Yeshua put it, it should not invalidate the Word of God. Any tradition should not invalidate, and that's really the issue, okay? So, in like manner, when we legislate the U.S. Constitution, in like manner, tradition does not, uh, by, by necessity, it's not anti-biblical, okay? So don't read that, that Yeshua is saying tradition is anti-biblical. So again, Yeshua's words here were not an indictment against Jewish practice or a clash with Jews, in my opinion. But his message was much deeper and much more universal than that. Much more universal than a focused clash with Jews. Yeshua calls them hypocrites here. And this is not the modern idea. If we were to define hypocrisy nowadays, you would say, you've got moral standards, you've got standards here, you're not living up to those standards. <clears throat> That's our modern understanding of hypocrisy. The uh, biblical understanding of it, of the way the word was used at that time, so it's similar but a little different. Um, the idea of hypocrisy at that time, the Greek there, was more of like play acting. Like you put on one face and you're acting a certain way, but that's really not who you are. You know, So it's similar, but it's a little bit different, not who you appear to be. Um, so in other words, you appear, it's just you appear to be concerned about putting God first by recognizing the need to be ritually clean, i.e. not a bad thing, but a good thing. Right? You appear to be concerned about putting God first, to be clean before Him, but in reality, that you just act, you're really not concerned about that, that thing. And then Yeshua goes on a bit further to highlight that heart situation about what's going on. Again, it's not about hand-washing, it's about the heart thing. And He does that, He does so by quoting uh, a prophetic word by Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And remember, um, prophecy is the idea of an individual speaking on behalf of God, speaking God's message. It's not uh, you know, wizardry per se, like I can figure out what's going on, I can predict what's going to happen. It's speaking on behalf of God. So if you're going this way, you can turn around and go the other way toward God. Things aren't, you're not going the right direction. So he quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, in verse 13. <clears throat> which is some of the verses here are a little different when you look at the, the Greek translation of it. It's a Tugent. It's likely he was uh, maybe even quoting from that. But the idea doesn't really change much, so we can put up on that. <clears throat> but he says here in verse 13 that this people, this is Isaiah speaking, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Again, Yeshua is putting credibility on what? 
they are saying, the question, why would you be washing your hands and being ritually clean, right? They're saying the right thing, perhaps, but their heart is far from you. Honor me with their lips, okay? So it's, their, it's, their, uh, it's what's on the inside as opposed to what's on the, the outside. <clears throat> so, going back to Isaiah just for a minute to kind of get a little more context. If you look at Isaiah beginning in chapter 29, this is a, I won't read all of it up to verse 13, but the context leading up, it's a lament. Starts off, uh, it gives a, a TLB translation. Uh, maybe your translation says, whoa, I'm not sure. It's, oi, Ariel, this. He's basically giving the, the, um, the, the sins or the, the, the shortcomings of the people there. And it's, it's a lament. And in essence, up into verse 13, what he has said is, you know, you're off course. And you're going to be visited by God. He's talking about all these things that will happen. Siege works will be built up around you and all this. He said, you're off course and you'll be visited by God. And so clean things up. This is what you need to do. But then he says, but you want to put your heads in the sand. And you want to make excuses. So reading just verses 11 through 12, the two verses right before verse 13, Isaiah. So, so, so this entire vision is for you. This vision of, you know, turn around, going the wrong way. This entire vision is for you. Like the words of a sealed scroll, which they give to one who knows books, saying, read this please. But he says, I can't, because it's sealed. Then the scroll is given to one who does not know books, saying, read this please. But he says, I don't know books. You know, sorry. Read this. Sorry, it's sealed. Read this. Sorry, I can't read. <laughs> you know, the tenor of Isaiah's prophecy is <clears throat> like from the movie A Few Good Men. You know, you just you just can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. You don't want the truth. Isaiah is saying, just like Yeshua is saying, it's right there. It's plain. It's God's word. It's His commandments. It's His laws. It's His teachings. It's His truths. It's His judgments. It's His precepts. It's His statutes. Right? All of these words for God's Torah, standards, they're all good. They're all you need. They're what I've given you. They're what Yeshua says the Holy Spirit is there to remind you of. But no, you'd rather look the other way and make things up for yourself. Things related to the law, but not quite the law. Law like, but with your own little twist. That's the parallel of what's going on in this prophecy in Isaiah, as well as what Yeshua is saying here in Mark. Same idea. You've got it, it's right there. You know what you need to do, you need to get your heart right, but you just want to look the other way, put your head in the sand. Sorry, you can't read. Sorry, it's sealed. You know, whatever. And in summary, the summary idea that Yeshua gives here in Mark is that they've strayed to the point of wanting to do things their own way, even on their own terms. In verse 8, look at Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 8, I see certainly a crux, if not the crux, of, uh, of Yeshua's teaching on this. He says, having left behind the commandment of God, you hold on to the tradition of men. And this, this idea is repeated about two, three, two or three other times in this session. Having left behind the commandment of God, you hold on to the tradition of men. You see again in verse 9, it kind of repeats the point. You set aside the commands of God in order that you may validate your own tradition. <clears throat> Notice that Yeshua says they, they let go. A lot of the translations will vary here. I'll go over some of the words in a minute that you may have. Um, he says that they let go. They forsook God's law. And uh, 
You know, I think we often hear about being free from the law, don't we? You're going to let it go. Let it go, man. Be free. But Yeshua's message here clearly implies that this is a bad thing. You've let go of the law. You've forsaken the law. You've rejected the law. You know, he doesn't say, good job, let me go with the commandments of God. You know, you can do that now, right? Now, in order to forsake something, you must have had it at one time. And he's saying you shouldn't forsake it. Think about a wedding vow. Most wedding vows, uh, traditional ones, are, you know, in some way or another, talk about, you know, you're now committed to this person. Repeat after me, forsaking all others, commit yourself to this person, right? In other words, you had other opportunities, maybe. Maybe some of us did, maybe some of us didn't. But the point is, look, you made that choice, but now you've made your choice, and you got to forsake all of that other that you maybe had, and stay committed to, to, to this. And also know in that same example, as with divorce, breaking that vow, and now, for, now actually doing what you said you wouldn't do, but forsaking that person, it's not an all-at-once all action. You don't just wake up one morning... Probably. It hasn't happened to me yet. I don't you know. I have my first one, Jessica, right? Um, but you just don't wake up one morning and that's it, right? It's not an all in one section. It's incremental. Incremental travel from, you know, from the way you feel to this way. But the same, in the same manner, forsaking the law, it's incremental. It's travel from God's values and benchmarks. You know, the, the beginning of traveling away from that is really the beginning of the end. And we're not immune to that idea either. Whether it's slow, whether it's fast, straying from God spells death and curses. And God spells that out many times in His Word. Again, verse 9 says, You set aside. Your translations might say nullify. They might say reject. All of these things. You do these things to God's laws so that, for the purpose of, it's a purpose statement there. This is why you do it. For the purpose of validating your own tradition. So do people still do that? Do people still try to validate their own traditions? And that's just Jews. That's why he's talking about the Jews. This letter's all about this class of Judaism, right? This is about this is about him against the Jews. No. I think everybody, people still do try to validate themselves, validate their own traditions. Right? Nullifying or rejecting God's laws, even if you don't know they're God's laws, or even if a person doesn't accept that they are God's laws, and then elevating their own values above that, that's common practice. And again, this is the heart of the issue. This is the heart of what she was talking about here. That still happens today. That still happens. And the way it looks is that we interpret, we tend to view, we look at God's Word through the filter of us and our experience and our values, right? We take how we feel about things and we then look at the Bible and see how that supports how we feel about things. And how we feel about things must be right, you know? And whether it's some of the hot button topics of today, like, you know, same-sex marriage, let's say. You know, I have this feeling, I have this love for this other person. This is love. And let me look at the Bible and through that idea that love must be a good thing. And so we see love, love, love. And so, it must validate us somehow. We, the Bible validates us. We look through our lens to the Bible. You know? Versus looking at possibly you know, man, woman, one flesh, that kind of thing. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, 
And these are hot button topics. Maybe, maybe it's a, a sickness, a sickness or disease, right? We think, well, I'm sick, you know? And so therefore, I'm going to look at the word as to how this can be redempted, you know? Versus maybe looking at, thinking the scripture says, I need to go to the elders and to be prayed for, right? And to be healed. That healing seems to be, this wellness seems to be a blessing. We don't see sickness as a blessing in the Bible, you know? And so, um, if it were, if sickness were, were a blessing, then, you know, why go to a doctor? Why go to the elders? Why try to take that blessing away from God that He's giving you? Why try to get well? You know? So the, the point is, there are other examples I could give, but the real point, you know, other examples, the, the point is that our, our vision needs to change, right? In the way that we, we view Scripture, we view, we, we view Scripture to look at our life, not our life to look at Scripture. It's a different, different direction, if that makes sense. You know? And these examples, by doing that, it challenges us. It should challenge us. The, the Word of God should challenge us, transform and change us. Amen. And when you zoom out any of the details, of those, those two examples I gave, there any other examples that come to mind, again, the overall idea is that we need to allow the lens of Scripture to influence us, and not for us to look at how Scripture supports how we feel. The book of Hebrews even tells us, uh, chapter 4, that the Word of God is active and living. It's not stagnant. It continues to work. It continues to mold us. It continues to shape us, if we allow it to. But again, too often, I think, we decide what's important to us, and then we see what verses support those positions. And in some cases, that might work. So don't be fooled. Because sometimes, you know, our values are God's values. And we might find some stuff that lines right up, you know, and that's great. So it might actually work. But really, that is putting the cart before the horse. And it can potentially lead us into that incremental strain from God's purposes when we start off with our purposes and look into the Word versus looking into the Word and, and kind of letting it transform us, our values, and our purposes. So that, that's the indictment and the charge that Yeshua is levying here. That's what he's having an issue with. And he goes on to give an example. He goes on to give an example of this. He doesn't give the example I gave. He gives a different example. Something you may or may not even understand as was read here. Um, he talks about this idea of, of honoring parents. That is a, a scripture, you know. Uh, it's a commandment. That you're supposed to speak well. Parents, was to honor your father and mother. We saw that about a month ago in the, in, in the Torah portion. To care for them. And the idea here is that this idea of korban, which is a dedication to the Lord, you, you basically say, you know, I'd love to help, but I can't. Because everything I have, all my, my assets, all my uh, availability of things I could use to, to help you, Dedicated to the Lord, put that in quote marks, because on the one hand, yes, Korban is not a, a bad idea, but this way that it had been manipulated was, was sort of gaming the system. You know, if you, if you commit it to the Lord, then it's only good, you know, if something happens to you, it goes to the temple, the temple treasury. Uh, but in the meantime, you maintain control of it. Um, but it can't go to anybody else. That was, the, that was the issue. That was the issue that Yeshua was pointing. That was the practice that was going on. Okay? Again, the idea of committing things to the Lord is not a bad thing. The way it was being handled was a problem. And I think I've seen this specific example, maybe lots of ancient examples, I think I've seen that specific example in modern life myself, and maybe some of you have, um, with some more of these high-profile uh, ministry cases, for example. Um, ministers under deposition, I saw a video one time, and, you know, tell me about this, uh, this house, and tell me about this limousine, and tell me about these clothes. Well, those are all ministry assets. Those are all ministry assets. You know, they belong to the ministry. 
And overall, it's just a technicality, right? And that's what Yeshua is talking about. He's not talking about the idea of Korban and the tradition of dedication of assets to God, but the way in which it had been distorted with technicalities. Now, don't raise your hand. Ask other questions here. Don't raise your hand for it. Or point. Don't point at anybody. So yeah, right here. Over here. This, this guy. Um, do we ever operate in technicalities? <laughs> do we ever operate in technicalities? Sometimes I joke if I take the cookie off Jesse's plate, I don't have the calories. There is calories. I just took them. So really the calories belong to Jesse, so I don't, I don't get them. Uh, but I mean real technicalities. There are real technicalities. Uh, do we ever look the other way, perhaps? You know, do we ever take advantage of the system ourselves? Do we, do we look for the rules to somehow work to our advantage, you know? Maybe just to withhold some information. I didn't say anything wrong. I just didn't offer it or whatever. I mean, do we do those kind of things? You know? And in verse 13, Yeshua concludes this, this short diatribe by saying, you may avoid the word of God. Now, avoid there. It's a pretty powerful word. You may avoid the word of God. What do you know about avoid? You know, something that had value, something that was full, something that was legitimate at one point, like a check, right? When you avoid a check, or you take something that's, you're, you're canceling, you're making it empty, you're making it worthless. So you may avoid the word of God, which is a, is a good thing full of value, with your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many such things. I didn't emphasize it there, but do you see the emphasis looking at the end of that verse here? Your traditions that you handed down, and you do many such things. This is the real, the real focus here, the real story that's going on. Okay? Uh, there, are, there are traditions in Judaism, you have mentioned some good ones. There are other ones. There are things uh, like uh, the... Uh, the Sabbath day's walk. We have that nowadays. The Eruv. And, uh, you know, you, the thought is you can only walk a certain distance. And what you do in some cases is you, at the end of that distance that you're able to go, you set up a little food or something. Plant yourself a little food or a place to replenish yourself. That then becomes your Sabbath abode because you're there and you're, you're abiding and you're dining. And now you can walk another Sabbath day's walk. And there's ways around it. These technicalities. You know, you've got another, other ways around it. Um, there's uh, Passover, we get rid of the chametz in our home, and if you read the internet on this stuff, there are intricate and elaborate ways where, you know, you can get rid of all this stuff. So they write up contracts and a way to lease your, your goods to somebody, put them under their control for the next seven days to this Gentile, and then you're going to get them back. And it's, it's very, it, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not making this stuff up. It's a complicated uh, bill of sale or a lease of your chametz to a Gentile. You know, I'm going to get back after Passover. These are all technicalities. But going back to the, the real thing, are you really concerned about losing focus of the Lord on Shabbat because you walked or worked too much? I think that's a real consideration. That's a real good part of the of where these things are born out of. You know? Are you are you are you off focus because of that? Wondering how or where you'll get the next Shabbat meal. I mean, this is important, I think. Are you really concerned about ridding yourself of covenants on, on Pesach as a reminder of the, the permeating nature of sin? Or is it concerned about, you know, technically fulfilling a command, not losing out on all the money you have invested in covenants, right? Are you really concerned about that? Really concerned about this truth, this benchmark set by God as a guide who is for life? So again, is Yeshua really taking the fight to the Jews or calling out the Jews in this section? As I said a few weeks ago, and as, I, as we'll hear 
in Bible study this week, if you come on Wednesday to watch this debate, um, these words by Yeshua are not the words um, of a, a hostile outsider, faithfully condemning tradition in all its forms and functions. But rather, these are words from a loyal insider whose desire was for the reconciliation and restoration of his people. A desire which extends to all of us today. A desire that wants you to, to not look for technicalities and loopholes in Scripture. A desire that says that you know tradition is a good and it's a useful thing, but not when it pulls you away from its legitimate foundations, which are the Word of God. Because right? I don't care how crazy of a, of a command of tradition you find in, in Judaism, um, even in probably even in the, the larger body of the side, there may be traditions I don't know, maybe the Catholic shaking the you know the, the thing or whatever. There, there's scripture behind that. Trust me. Now, it may be a tenuous connection, a thread, but it's not typically made out of thin air. There's something behind it. It's interesting to consider. I've said this before. We do this as part of our membership class to look at some of these things that are scriptural and say, okay, this seems really off. You know, you couldn't possibly apply this to your life. But look a little deeper. Could you? Is there something behind this that maybe is applicable? You know. Um, so the message I think for us, at least a big part of the message that I see the message for us is that scripture should be the starting point from which we are directed and shaped and transformed. And it should not be the other way around, where we go to Scripture with our values, trying to make things line up there. Okay? We should not look for Scripture to validate our thoughts and our beliefs, but our thoughts and beliefs should be formed, and they should be shaped by the Scriptures. Amen. So let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, which informs us, which guides us, which teaches us. We thank you that it is active, that it is transformative, that it's alive, Lord, that as we live, we can continue to be, to be shaped by it. Even when it's difficult, when we come across something that might seem very challenging to us and doesn't even remotely line up with our personal life experience, our situation, may we have the ability, Lord, to see your hand there, to see and to believe and trust that we can be transformed by it, and that our life could conform more to that, even at least internally in our spirit. And we thank you that your word does remain a steadfast anchor for us when we do stray, and when we do incrementally maybe walk in a direction away from you, Lord. We thank you that you are there as a steadfast anchor, and that you do not change, and your word does not change, Lord, and that you're there for us when we do find ourselves straying from you. We ask you, Lord, to help us to remain faithful to the things that are important to you. We ask for your help to be shaped and informed by, by your standards and values, and not the standards and values that we see in the world around us, the ones that, that we get attracted to in the world around us. Help us, Lord, to purge and to prune those things in our life that keep us from what you're trying to teach us and to show us, Lord. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.